thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. This is David Perkins, and we're so glad that you're listening. Hey, if you're a part of our family meeting online or in person, we want to encourage you to get connected at Radiant Church KC across all social media platforms. God is doing something incredible in Kansas City, and we love connecting with you, whether it's through our app or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. Well, good morning, everybody. How's everyone doing today? Doing well? Like uh, David, Pastor David said, my name is Nathan. I get to serve on the team here as one of the pastors. It is a joy to be in the midst of what God is doing in Kansas City through Radiant Church. Amen. It's, it's the, I know he already talked about this, so I'm just going like, to re-announce some of the stuff he just said because it's such an exciting time period. At 24 months ago, two years ago, we had no idea what God was going to do, how he was going to choose to provide a permanent home for Radiant Church. And watching God at work in that midst and seeing how he has led us every step along the way has been so faith-building and just in my own walk with the Lord. And I just want to celebrate you and thank you for everything everything that you've done to accomplish this vision, this dream from the Lord. So whether you've given a dollar, whether you've prayed, whether you've, you've gone without to, to help be a part of this, whatever step you've taken to be a part of the future is radiant and provide and be the, the way, the means in which God has provided this building, we just want to say thank you. That from the bottom of our hearts, thank you. We would not be in this place without you. And we are so grateful for each and every single person and the sacrifice that you've made, whatever that's looked like, to make this journey be to this point we're at right now. And speaking of that, we are, um, just a quick update, we are in the middle of obtaining our permits from the city of Overland Park. So there's a permit for the exterior renovation. There's an, a permit for the interior renovation. So I am spending more time at City Hall than I ever thought I would in my entire life. It has been a joy and a learning experience. So um, as you pray for this part of our journey and this part of the, the renovation, um, please just continue to pray for that. We want this to go smoothly. We want to create a world-class and excellent place for you, for your friends, for your family members, for your coworkers, for the people in your life who don't yet know Jesus to come in and give their lives to Jesus and begin following him. The people are going to become radiant disciples of Jesus in this building. And uh, as you pray for us, please pray for that permitting process. Um, I we would all be so grateful, me in particular. So thank you for doing that. Me in particular. Uh, but it is a, hey, it's an honor to get to share the word of God. I really do mean that from the bottom of my heart. It is not something, uh, it's an honor that I do not take lightly. And I'm so grateful to, to get to do this on behalf of Pastor David this morning. We're going to be in Judges chapter 6. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Judges. And before we pray and really get into the text, I want to kind of set the stage a little bit for you because Judges takes place in a really complex time period in the history of the nation of Israel. So, Judges is right in between these two periods of very strong leadership. 
And it's like the messy middle, right? It's before Judges, we have Moses and the Exodus account and all of these great miracles and God moving and and the Red Sea parting and it's epic and it's amazing and it's miraculous. And then we see Joshua come and step into power after Moses and he's leading the people on the conquest of Canaan, the promised land. They're establishing their nation as the people of God. And then we have Judges and after Judges, we have this incredible narratives of the prophet Samuel becoming really the last judge of the nation and then the kingdom beginning, the kingdom of Israel beginning and Saul and David and Solomon and all of those stories and accounts. And the book of Judges is right in between both of them. And it's, the, it's an absolute mess. When I think about Judges, I really, the book of Judges is like, it's a hot mess express. It is all over the place. It is this messy middle. And I think that there is a verse that communicates the why behind some of the dynamics. Early in the book of Judges, there's this verse and it says this, that the people had no leader. So they did whatever was right in their own eyes. And when that becomes the standard operating procedure, when that becomes the way in which we live our lives, chaos is bound to ensue. And if you've never read the book of Judges, let me just tell you, chaos ensues. It is the most chaotic book and maybe the entirety of scripture. We see all of these patterns, all of these different things coming to light over and over in the book. And what we see is both a, a big picture and then each story is a little micro version, a little small detailed version of the same narrative playing out over and over and over again. And as I look at this, I think this is the same pattern that we find ourselves living in today. It's very easy for us to have this exact same pattern. And it's this moment where we know we need God. And we go, yes, we know we need him. Yes, we're going to follow closely because we are well acquainted with our weaknesses and our failures. So we know we need God. And as we are dependent on God, what happens is as we lean in and we walk closely with him, we get to experience the blessings of God. And then as we experience those blessings, though, it's very easy for us to turn into from dependence on God into becoming really able to stand on our own two feet. And feeling like we don't maybe need God as much as we did in the beginning. And now we're doing things on our own and we're capable and we're intelligent and we, we've learned so much and we can do so many things and, and we, we no longer need God. But the end of that journey ends up being captivity. When we cast off restraint, when we cast off our dependence of God, we end up invariably captive to something. Now, the book of Judges will tell you it's the Philistines, it's the Amalekites, it's the Midianites, it's all the ites, it's the termites, the Perizzites, it's whatever. And, but in our life, we get captive to just different things. We get captive to our status. We become captive to the way people think about us or our job title. We get captive to all of these other things in life. And then eventually, invariably, what happens is when we come to the end of captivity, we realize that we can't get out on our own, that we need the Lord. So we repent, we turn, we change the way that we think, we change the way that we live, and we we repent and we return to the place of dependence on God. 
This is the story of the book of Judges. The entirety of the book repeats this pattern over and over again. And the story of Gideon gives us a detailed version of this story. Here, I want to show you what I mean by this. I want you to get this because we have this chart. Uh, Can we put the chart up, guys? Here is the cycle that we often find in our lives. We begin in the dependence on God, and then we move into self-sufficiency. We move into we are sufficient in our own selves, and then we become captive We repent and we return back to dependence on God. This is the story of Judges. Gideon's the fifth judge that we read about. There's there's, uh, judges before him, there's judges after him. And over and over again, we we see the same cycle playing out. And in Judges chapter 6, we get to see the nation of Israel being oppressed by the Midianites. Now, here's, here's what's happening at this point in Gideon's life, in the nation's life. They had been oppressed by the Midianites for seven years. Now, the Midianites were these nomadic raiders that would come in. They were a nomadic people, so they didn't have like, it wasn't like a nation coming in and just setting up camp. It was, they would ride in on their camels. I don't know why the Bible tells you they rode camels. Maybe that's important. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But they rode in on their camels during the harvest, and they would consume, they would devour, they would take everything that the nation of Israel had planted, had hoped to harvest, they would take all of it. They would consume all of it. They would destroy all of it. And this happened for one year. And this happened for a second year and a third year and a fourth year and a fifth year and a sixth year and a seventh year. This has happened. So now the nation of Israel has moved beyond. This was a season where the enemy came in and stole. Now it has become a cycle, a pattern that the enemy is coming in and stealing every time we think we're about to reap the harvest. Every harvest season we think, man, I've worked to this point. I can't wait to enjoy the fruit of my labor and the enemy steals it. I think Gideon is one of the most relatable judges in all of this book. Because so many of us walk the same type of life Gideon is walking. We've invested in our children and now they're not serving the Lord. We work diligently and we've given sacrificially and all these things, but then we're still struggling financially. I've walked in integrity and impurity at the workplace and all of these things, and now I'm being talked about, I'm being gossiped about. That you've worked for a harvest and yet it's being stolen. You've worked and you've said, hey, this is what's going to happen. I'm hoping for this. And it's been stolen so frequently that now you are afraid to hope. After seven years of this pattern, the nation has transitioned from experiencing a season of difficulty being stuck in a cycle. And it's so easy for seasons to turn into cycles in our lives. When we allow our minds, we allow ourselves to drift into a harmful pattern of behavior. When we allow our minds to to believe that our current, our present circumstances are our permanent circumstances, we can fall in this trap. When we begin to believe that nothing will change, that nothing can change, when we lose our ability to hope, we become stuck in a cycle. Now, Gideon will go on to save the nation. I know I just, I just ruined this account. 
It's like, you had me, Nathan. I didn't know what was going to happen. Gideon saves the day through the Lord. It's, it's wonderful. We'll get there in a moment. But before he gets to that victory, before we get to our victory, I think there's, there's layers that the Lord takes us to. There's a process that God uses when he's bringing about victory in our lives. Frequently, I believe that there are three spheres that we will face battles on, and the Lord does it in incremental fashion. We need to walk through each one of these layers. The first layer is this. It's the enemy within us. The enemy among us. And the third is the enemy around us. So why is it important that we start with the enemy within us? Because you are the most difficult person you will ever have to lead. Some of you just said, no, I'm not. <laughs> You're also the person you lie to the most. <laughs> it's this moment we're the most difficult person we'll ever have to lead. Every Monday morning you go to bed or Sunday night you go to bed thinking today, Monday is the day. I will not hit the snooze button. And every Monday morning, your alarm's going off and you have this internal dialogue. How can I justify the snooze button? How can I justify not doing the thing that I said I was going to do? We are the, our own worst enemy. We're the most difficult person we will ever have to lead in this life. This is where Gideon's first victory had to take place. And this was honestly, this was his most frequent battle. Was the enemy within. This is the, this is the place where we get introduced to Gideon in Judges chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 11. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizurite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us to the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord. I don't know why Gideon speaks like an English person in this, like he's from Britain. It's very formal. Maybe that was the occasion. I don't know. Pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all of Midianites, leaving none alive. The first thing we got to get was we cannot confuse who God made you to be with what you currently see around you. The place that you're in. Gideon was in the wine press. He was in a low place. Now, the difference between threshing wheat and crushing wine is this. That the wine press was in a low place because the nature of it is you're crushing grapes, hoping that gravity will take the juice and roll downhill. It'll flow downhill into crates and vats, right? So it's a low place. It's covered. You don't want to lose any of the harvest of the grapes. So you're doing it in a low place, walled off, covered. It is low. To thresh wheat, you would go to a high place so that there would be a wind, there would be a breeze, so that as you thresh this wind, the wind will blow away the invaluable chaff, the weeds, and the valuable, heavier grain would fall to the ground, and you could harvest the grain. 
So Gideon, who should be doing something in a high place, is in a low place. Gideon's not supposed to be doing what he's doing where he's doing it. There is nothing right about this scenario. And the first thing that God says is not, why are you so low? Is not, why are you doing this here and not there? Not any other thing. The first thing the Lord says is that he establishes Gideon's identity. So many of us can identify with Gideon because we feel the same things he's feeling. We tell ourselves, I just, I just need to get through this season. I just, I just need to make it through the fall. I just, it, if, if I can just get to here, I'm, I'm just trying to survive. But when you get in those moments, seasons become cycles. And we've got to break out of the current cycle of our living. We've got to break out of the current cycle of our thinking. Because what God is doing in Gideon is he's breaking down. See, an outside voice had begun to determine Gideon's identity, that the Midianites were going to consume everything. So he needed to go to a low place. God is saying that is not who you are. We can't allow any voice to be greater than the voice of the Lord when he speaks our identity. We can't elevate anything else beyond the word of the Lord. So this is Gideon's starting point. Like, just think about the dynamics here. Think about the dichotomy here, the the difference between the two. God is saying to Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Go in the strength you have. I will be with you. Gideon's response is, my clan is the weakest. My family is the weakest of the clan. And I'm the weakest in my family. Like Manasseh was like the messy half tribe of the nation of Israel. They didn't even get full tribe status. They had to split it with Ephraim. Like it's not even a whole tribe. It's like a half tribe. You know, those cousins that you have, because everyone has those cousins. That's Manasseh. And Gideon's going, hey, I know I'm those cousins. And I know that who I am, I'm the least of my family. There's a problem here. And this is... This is who I am. And God's saying, no, 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 this is who you are. One of them is wrong. And it's not God. It is so easy for us to dialogue and have these internal conversations with ourselves that justify, that speak into our place that I can't do that because I'm not this. I can't do that thing because this is my upbringing. This is my family. I, I'm surely I am not like those people who can do those things, whatever they are. And God is speaking to Gideon, his identity first and foremost. That your present circumstances are not who you are. They're where you're currently at, but that is not your destiny. That is not your end place. That is not where the Lord has called you to stop. He is still speaking and he is working. I was like, if we believed everything that God said about us, we would walk around altogether different through life. Problem is we believe the lie of the enemy. We would walk around with so much confidence and like just sheer faith and dependence on God that we would live altogether different. 
So I grew up playing sports in a, in a relatively competitive environment. I grew up in a non-Christian home. I'm prefacing what I'm about to say with that statement, just so you don't judge me um, as one of your pastors. When you grow up playing sports and you're a teenager and testosterone is running on over, overtime and, and you're competing against other people, it, things tend to go maybe a step too far. And things tend to get maybe more physical than they should. I'll let you allude to any conclusion there. I learned very quickly who you could mess with and who you could not. Step one, don't mess with people on the wrestling team. Like your basketball buddies, that is not sufficient. Don't mess with the wrestling team. Especially people on the wrestling team who had cauliflower ear. You don't know what they did to get that cauliflower ear. If we knew who we are in Christ, we would walk around like those guys. They weren't afraid of anybody because they knew who they were. They knew who they were, what they were capable of. And I'm telling us today that some of us need to walk around with our shoulders back a little bit more confident because who God says that you are is someone altogether different than the way that you're currently living. You are capable of more. You are capable of strength. You are capable of victory. You are capable of knowing and being all that God has called you to be. But it takes us believing it. That's why in in chapter 6, verse 16, the Lord says, I will be with you. We can't confuse who we are with our current conditions. Before we can go in the strength that God has given us, before we can go in the strength that we have, we have to stop elevating our weaknesses. God tells Gideon who he is. Gideon begins to elevate his weaknesses. You know, here's all the reasons why I can't. But if we can't remember who we are, we'll never be able to deal with where we are. The season you find yourself in is best dealt with you identifying who you are in Christ. Hearing the word of the Lord speak to you. So when God says, go in the strength you have, deliver the nation out of the Midianite's hand, you feel the confidence and the resolve to go do that. One of the things that encourages me about the word of God is how many times, how frequently God will choose to elevate someone from a low place to a high place. Gideon is a fantastic example. Most of the, the apostles, most of the disciples of Jesus are good examples. Jesus himself was, came to earth in the lowest place possible to be elevated to the highest place. It is, and it's this dichotomy, it's this piece that I want us to get is that our strength isn't made perfect in our strength. That's not what Paul wrote. But it's that our strength is made perfect in our weaknesses because it increases our capacity to experience the strength and the power of God at work in our lives. So it's not your strengths that qualify you for being used by God. It's actually your weaknesses because that evokes dependence on God. Knowing your weaknesses forces you to be dependent on God. And Gideon is one of the most unlikely candidates because he's in one of the lowest places. And yet we see God raise him up like he so often does. Because it's God's strength working through him. It's not Gideon's strength. It's not Gideon's ability. It's God's strength. It's God's ability. It's the strength of the Lord that enables us to overcome the enemy within us. You're not trapped in the wine press. There is more inside of you than you realize. So the Lord's saying, go in the strength that you have. 
The Lord is with you. So as Gideon faces the enemy inside of himself, then he begins to work. God begins to work through him to the enemy among him. Now, this is interesting because I find that God frequently will bring victory in kind of concentric circles. As he begins to work inside of us, then he will slowly begin to work outside of us and through us into other spheres of our lives where we can see and experience victory. Now, God clarifies Gideon's identity. Then as we continue to see God work through Gideon, and we see that Gideon's not perfect. Like, Gideon doesn't arrive Like some of us just need to be encouraged by that. There is no arrival moment to where everything is perfect and everything is just right and you are fully mature and realized. It is a continual process. That's why the Bible says that we're being transformed from one image of Christ to the next. It's a process that never ends. You don't need to be perfect for God to use you. You just need to make yourself available. So as we keep going, Judges chapter six, verse 25. That same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height, using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down. Offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid... Gideon's still afraid. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. You can be afraid and still make progress. Oftentimes, you will be afraid and still need to take a step. It happens all the time. This is what's happening in Gideon. Gideon is belonging, belongs to a family that is currently worshiping Baal. Now, Baal is a pagan god, and they use it as Baal. The name Baal is a, is a pagan god, but they use it to like, identify the different gods of their area. So Baal, in this instance, is most likely a god of the harvest. Right? Their harvest is being stolen, so they're worshiping Baal to try to get a harvest. Asherah is a fertility god. So what God, Gideon is doing is God has spoken identity into him, and now his first step is with those closest to him, his family and his townspeople. How many first-generation Christians? You, you were the first Christian in your family. Yeah. If you're a first-generation Christian, you understand the fear Gideon had to overcome in this moment. Because your entire family, your entire townspeople, all the people you do life with are going this direction. And now, in a moment, you have turned and now you're going against the flow of your family. This is a big moment in Gideon's life. This is a big moment in anybody's life who has been that first mover toward Christianity. Gideon had to take a stand in his own village among his family before he ever faced the battle on the enemy on a battlefield. Before God gives his servants, before God gives his people victory on big scales, oftentimes we have to experience victory in small ways, in small scales. Before David ever fought Goliath, he had to kill a lion and a bear when no one was there to witness it but God. Before Gideon goes out and 
has this epic showdown with the Midianites and all the things that God will do here in a, in a few verses in a chapter. Before he gets to any of that, his first victory is the victory over himself, and then his second victory is the victory among his family. And listen, maybe it's not your family, but maybe it's the townspeople that you're afraid of. Maybe it's your workplace, your coworkers. Now, I love the phrase, I've heard it. Most overnight successes take about a decade. It's because we're establishing these small victories that, that build this muscle memory inside of us. That right now, how, how can we be preparing for a victory that in your future that you can't even imagine right now? Like when you read this story, this account of Gideon, there is no way Gideon thought he was going to defeat the Midianites the way that he defeated them. But, but this is one little moment. This is a muscle memory moment. This is a victory. This is a small victory that Gideon is able to experience to prepare him for a victory on a larger scale. So what's the step for you? When you look at your life, when we look at my life, when we think about how we are all like Gideon, what is the step that we need to take? What's the area of your life that needs development? What's the family dynamic that you know needs, you need to step up and change? What's the, the small step of integrity you need to take in your workplace? What's the, what's the spiritual discipline that you need to embrace for your own life? Because every single moment we take spiritual ground for the kingdom of God, we're developing our muscle memory. We're developing that muscle of faith inside of us. We're developing this this system, the standard operating procedure of here's how I overcome fear with my faith, with my dependence on God. Here's how I overcome the obstacle to see a victory in the name of the Lord. Here's how I see spiritual ground taken in my life and in my family's life, in my workplace, and my sphere of influence, my friends. Maybe they don't feel like big victories to you. Often they won't. But to the enemy, it's death by a thousand paper cuts. Every small victory is ground that you're taking for the kingdom of God. Don't underestimate the power of small victories. Because they're still victories. So Gideon fights the enemy within. He fights the enemy among. And then he begins to fight the enemy around. Now, this is an amazing part of the story of Gideon because he sends out the call for all the people who are going to fight the Midianites. We're going to set our, we're going to become free from the impression of the Midianites. And 32,000 people show up. 32,000 men show up for Gideon's call to raise up arms against the Midianites. And if we're honest, most of us go, this is awesome. This is surely how God will work his victory. More is always better especially when it comes to armies. Like, this is, this is awesome. This is going to be one of those stories in the Bible where God, all the people show up and they fight and they win. But God is not just trying to give us victory. God is trying to grow our faith. God is trying to grow our dependence on him. So what we see happen next in the story of Gideon, Gideon is shockingly truthful in our lives. 
God tells Gideon, this is too many people. No, it's not enough people. Nope, this is too many people. So Gideon, tell people, tell the army, if anyone is afraid, they can go home. So Gideon tells the army, if anyone's afraid, you can go home. And 22,000 of them go home. Twenty two thousand of them leave. This is a far cry from when Joshua was leading the people and they're like conquering all these lands and like, hey, the strength of the Lord's with us. Let's go. Be strong and courageous. The Lord's with us. Come on, let's go to battle. Like, how different is that to this? Twenty two thousand people leave because they're afraid. Honestly, maybe it's 22,000 left because they can't get out of the cycle that they've been in. They can't believe victory is for them. 22,000 leave, 10,000 are left. And then God speaks to Gideon again and says, it's still too many. If I was Gideon, I'd be like, come on, God. Like for real? Like it's, it's, it's like a hundred thousand to 10, 10,000 at this point. Like, come on. Like that's a big enough difference, right? No. And God says, Hey, here's how you're going to divide these people up. If they drink this way, send them home. If they drink this way, they can stay. And there's all kinds of thoughts. Theologians tell you all kinds of reasons why it was this way or that way and all these things. But really, um, we don't have time to go in, into that today. But the end result is that there are only 300 people left. 300. You started with 32,000 and now you're at 300. You're growing the wrong way. It's, it's this crazy moment. But God didn't want the soldiers to boast that they had won the victory over the Midianites. If the goal is not just victory, but dependence on God, faith in God, then victories, because victories won because of faith, bring God glory. Because no one else can explain how they happened. When 300 men defeat the Midianites, the only explanation is God intervened. But it took Gideon being faithful. It took Gideon having a faith that was being developed, that was growing, that was robust, that was, was large. His dependence on God was going up. His, his, these small victories had been stacked one upon the other, and now he had a confidence to trust God in a situation that otherwise would have looked dire. So there's this moment that Gideon is looking at the resources and God is going, hey, we need to have a smaller army. Sometimes our resources can be an obstacle to our faith. It's this moment, even after all of this, even all of these little journeys of Gideon and all these things that we've gotten to see so far, even in the midst of this, there's still a moment where he needs a fresh encouragement. He needs fresh identity. He needs a word from the Lord to encourage him into the battle, into before he goes into battle. And that's the next text I want to look at. It's in Judges 7, verse 13 through 15. Gideon arrived just as the man, he snuck into the camp, the Midianite camp. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling his friend, telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. 
a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshiped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up, the Lord has given the Midianites, Midianite camp into your hands. The first thing I want you to get is that victory shouldn't lead to pride, it should lead to worship. We often think victory is linear. The victory is like, okay, hey, Gideon gets identity spoken to him. And then all of a sudden, Gideon has victory over his family, the townspeople. He experiences victory then. And then he's going to experience victory over the Midianites. I, I, don't, I think sometimes that's how God works. But I often think that it's more like a slinky. It's like a spiral being extended. It's like we move around in concentric circles. And we keep growing in our faith as we mature in Christ. So it, what ends up happening is like this is that getting these identities spoken to him in, his, in the first situation, he's in a low place then. He's in the wine press. And then he, he experiences God speak to him. And then he goes and he, and he experiences victory over his family. And, and God encourages him in that season in a different way. And then he moves around. And now he's facing the Midianites. And God still has to speak. Is still speaking encouragement to him. There are times when you need more faith than what you currently have in your life. So it's not just that God gives you a positive faith or God speaks to you and encourages you and you're done and you've arrived for the rest of your life. Oftentimes you will need a fresh moment of identity, a fresh encounter with the Lord where he's speaking identity to you. He's speaking hope into your heart. He's speaking faith into your life based on your current circumstances. And we're facing different battles and we're facing different enemies. But the Lord is still speaking to you and he's dealing with those root issues over and over again in your life as you mature in Christ. As we're being transformed from an image of Christ, God and Christ Jesus to the next. God will continue to work in you even as you fight the enemy around you. Gideon needed to be reminded of who he was in God. And his response to the word of the Lord was worship. And then many of us, I think, need to take this next step. We haven't been able to break out of that cycle. We feel like we've been stuck in the wine press. We feel like we've been stuck in a place where we don't experience victory. And you need someone to speak to you, just like Gideon called to the army, get up. The Lord has delivered the enemy into your hands. It's time to get up. You need someone to say to you, I know what your situation looks like or how the, the circumstances feel. But you need to get up. The enemy, has given the, the, the enemy has been given into your hands. You need to get up. God can still use you even though your family doesn't believe you or doesn't go in with you. Just like Gideon's, you, you can get up. God can still use you even when you don't fully believe in yourself. Gideon keeps coming back around to the same thing where he needs his identity spoken to him. That you can get up. God can still use you even when you don't think you have what you need. Gideon had 300 men against an army of 100,000. He didn't have what he needed. But you can still get up. You can experience victory in the Lord. 
You just need to believe who, that you are who God says that you are. And like Gideon, we need someone to tell us today that the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That you can go in the strength that you have because the Lord is with you. That you are not your current conditions. You are not your circumstances. You are not the byproduct of your family and your upbringing. That the Lord has more in you and more for you than you could ever imagine. You don't have to live like you're a captive anymore. You don't have to be stuck in the same cycle. You can walk in freedom and identity and purpose because the Lord is with you. I just want to take a moment this morning, just as, we, as we've been digging into Gideon, I want to pray for you. So if you could just bow your heads, let's close our eyes and I want to ask you the question. You've been believing the enemy. A season of your life has turned into a cycle. You feel stuck. You feel like there's no hope that you can't break out of this cycle. And today you need the Lord to speak just fresh identity into your life. Just right where you're at. I just want you to raise your hand. Amen. 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 I just want to take a moment. I want to pray for you specifically today. God, I pray for every single man and woman in this room who's raised their hand. I pray that the voice of the Lord would resonate so loudly in their hearts. God, I pray for freedom, for life, that the cycle that they feel stuck in, they don't have to be stuck in anymore. I believe that the word of the Lord, God, I pray that your word would rise up in their hearts and in their lives, and it would supersede any and every lie of the enemy that they're believing right now. God, I pray that they would hear you speak to them. That they're mighty warriors. That they can go in the strength that they have. That you are with them. That they are above and not beneath. That they're blessed in the country and they're blessed in the city. That everywhere they go, they will be blessed because of you. That you are the author. You are the perfecter of faith. God, that a thousand should die at their side, 10,000 at their right hand, but it will not come to them because you are their God and you are with them. God, I pray for a holy resolve of, the, of your Holy Spirit to rise up and drown out every single lie they're believing. God, even now, I pray that you would just begin to speak personally to every single one of these men and women. Tell them who you say they are, God. That they're more than their situation, that they're more than their current conditions. That your hand is upon them, that you are leading them, that you'll never leave them or forsake them. So Jesus, I pray 
you would build our dependence on you. We wouldn't become self-sufficient. We would stay God-dependent. In Jesus' name. And if you're in the room today, I just want to take one more moment and ask the question with with every head bowed, every eye closed. If today you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, the most formative identity you will ever have in your life is this. It's that of a Christ follower. There is no other identity. There is no other label that is greater than that. And if today you want to begin that relationship, you want to begin following Jesus, if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand just right where you're at. Amen. Amen. If you raise your hand, I just want you to make this prayer your prayer. Just Take it on for your own heart and your own life. Jesus, I come to you. I know I've made mistakes. I've sinned. I've fallen short. And I bring my weakness to you. And I give it to you. So I can receive the life that you've purchased for me. That I can be called a follower of Jesus. So today I commit to following you with my whole life for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ready, church, as we stand to our feet, can we put our hands together for every single person who prayed that prayer today? If you made a decision to follow Jesus today, I want to encourage you to let us know. We'd love to go with you on the journey and in your seat. Uh, there's a I Have Decided card that looks just like this. And in just a moment, as the ushers go by, I invite you to go ahead and drop that uh, in the offering bucket. It enables us to connect with you and help you on your journey. We have a Bible for you. We wanna connect you to a small group. We wanna do what we can uh, to help you on your journey as you're a follower of Jesus. Also, I just wanna remind you, this is the moment uh, to drop the connection card uh, in the offering bucket or your prayer request as well so that we can pray for all of those this week. Um, Hey, everybody, can we give a big hand to Pastor Nathan? What a great word. So grateful for you. You're a world-class pastor, world-class leader. We love you. So grateful. Awesome. Hey, uh, as we we give today of our tithes and offerings, um, my dream is that it would be a celebration. A celebration of people coming to know Jesus today. A celebration of God at work in our church. A celebration of God providing for our church. A celebration of people finding identity in God. And so we sang this song actually uh, at our prayer meeting this week. And it was really powerful. And so um, I want us to sing it again. Uh, but let's just let it be a celebration of what God has done. Father, we love you. We honor you. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you that you are a God that speaks life that saves, that provides. You are so good and we can't get enough of you. We honor you and we thank you in Jesus' name.